And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we talking? Wait. Slow down. Wait. Slow down. And you and I had this conversation, Kevin. We never, I don't think we ever published it. it years ago, right? Three, four years ago, when Polisic and McKinney were first kind of like really breaking through at a high level and everybody was like, world-class this, world-class that. And you and I were, we recorded it. We're like, man, these people are crazy. What are you people talking about? Like you have such a narrow worldview. Do you not see all these other players from the other countries, the Italians, the French, the Brazilians, the Argentinians, the Ukrainians, the Croatians, you have a huge blind spot as to the 17, 18 year olds from all those other countries and what they're doing and what their valuations are. You're so zoomed in on the Americans that you have no idea, right? No idea. And then what happened to Pulisic? Chelsea, bench, 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 bench. And instead of the Americans kind of looking in the mirror and say, oh, maybe Maybe our analysis is a little off. Maybe we're not yeah. quite right. Instead of thinking that, what do we see? What do we hear? Chelsea doesn't know what it's doing. Chelsea doesn't know what the diamond that they have on their hands. Really? Multiple coaches did the same thing and they're all idiots and you guys know better. Yeah. And Chelsea Football Club with, to take your guys' phrase, with its hundred and some odd year history, doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. Great. He's got his move to AC Milan. Maybe he'll crush it, Kevin. Yep. Maybe he'll crush it, okay? But even with crushing it, it's not the same player that everybody here made him out to be. Yeah. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. I am joined today from Holland by longtime soccer friend, colleague, and fellow builder, who continues to push the envelope of what's possible, Catherine Fuller. After founding a club named Joga SC on the east coast of the United States in 2010 and operating it in the D.C. area until 2016, he moved overseas and took his soccer business with him. Kef and I have had many discussions over the years, and naturally, one recurring theme is on the nature of soccer in America, specifically that you are not allowed to build your business here as you see fit, and have it merit its way in the marketplace. Instead, how far you can take your business is at the whims of a gatekeeper. Today's discussion is not really centered on that though, but rather an exploration of a variety of topics, some of which include the mentality of players and how disconnected most of them are to the reality of what it takes to quote unquote, make it. Should a young kid be signing with MLS or not? What are the pros and cons associated with that? What do we make of Messi here in MLS and the performances thus far? We talked about the ubiquitous, prolific, everywhere to be seen suburban soccer culture and also address some myths. For example, that somehow we need a hundred years of league history in order to open things up and be great. Or how about the myth that Americans only support winners? We also talk about how magic has nothing to do with promotion relegation being the solution to all the meaningful problems and a few other surprises for you. Folks, it's a good one. And per usual, yes, believe it or not, all of these things impact you. Having both a broad and deep understanding of the ecosystem enables you to better navigate it. Speaking of which, the two products that sponsor this episode will directly help you whether you are a coach or a parent of a player. So please have a listen because I know it can help you. 
Have you ever wondered why so many professional soccer players had a parent who was also a pro? Yes, yes. One can cite nepotism and the network that parent must also have. No question that's part of it. No question. But the kid also had to be at least good enough to a certain base level. And that's also where a former pro or an exceptional mentor gives the kid an unfair advantage. Why? Well, because they know what it takes and what specific things are important when it comes to the technical, tactical, physical, and also critically important mental side of the equation. Meanwhile, parents who don't have that background are stuck trying to navigate a complex system they aren't experts in, and also trying to navigate a flood of never-ending information online, most of which, by the way, is really bad information and really bad advice. Next thing you know, years and years have gone by of you investing countless hours trying to figure out what's actually going on and how to best guide your kid. And by the time you figured out some important things, it's too late. Your kid is already pretty much done with soccer or too far behind to catch up. We've seen it happen to hundreds of players we've coached from eight years of age up to and including current professionals. Parents, you have a huge influence over whether your kid, quote unquote, fulfills their potential or not. That's why we developed the 343 Masterclass for you, the parents. The goal is to give you tools in one place so that you can substantially and relatively quickly close the gap with those parents who happen to have a lifetime of professional experience within this sport. Tools that help you far better discern truth, and forgive the French, from bullshit in the player development ecosystem. And tools that enable you to actually train your own kid as well, if you'd like to do that. Please, do your kids a favor. All it takes is going to 343masterclass.com, getting on the email list, and we'll send you enrollment information. Now, for all you coaches out there, you can join over 1,000 of your colleagues by getting aboard the 343 Coaching Education Program. You can find both free and premium options for you at 343coaching.com. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Critically important, these solutions for coaches, for parents, for players, are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, let's get into today's episode. How are things going with the kids? Not bad. I just, you know, I came back from a three-week trip, so now uh, back in Holland, so it's been pretty crazy. And then the, the all of us, all of us but two kids got a stomach flu, so now it's just been dealing with all that, but we're all good now, man. How about you, man? How's Cali? It's hot as shit, but I love the heat. I've been going out on runs the past month, just a two or three mile run at a slow pace or whatever, just to get back into the flow of things. And when the sun is blazing on me, like at 2 p.m. or something, and I feel the heat on my skin, I feel alive. And everybody else thinks I'm crazy. You know, like, what are you doing? At least wait until like sunset or dusk or run in the morning or something. Like, nah, it's... <laughs> nah I'll get you going. It's the blood pumping up. Huh? That's good, man. For sure. How was your trip in South America? Oh, it was great, man. It was great. Went to Yaneros, uh, second division club there, which is very, very close to uh, promotion. And so, uh, you know, brought, what, three players down there. And one 22-year-old did well enough where they're, they're maybe trying to bring them uh, for the reserves and maybe for the first team. So that's good. Uh, and it's, you know, it's good down there, man. It's a, it's a different 
totally different culture, different flavor, but I would say that it's it's been really good down, going down there and kind of seeing how they operate and, and do things. Very good stadium, very good um, facilities. I would say comparable to some places even in Europe with their facilities, good turf fields. Stadium is pretty new, brand new. So it's a, it's a club on the up. You know, it's about an hour away from Bogota by the plane. But, you know, Colombia, what I found out, Colombia is huge, man. It's like, you know, you're talking about going, if you're talking about driving, it's like a three-hour drive or from Bogota to Cartagena is like 23 hours. It's insane how big it is. Gotcha. And you were in D.C. too. What, what was up with that? Yeah, man. So we, we've kind of formed a, a partnership with PSV, which has been good. So we we're able to bring two coaches out there and, you know, kind of, what we wanted to do is obviously like for younger players do uh, a little bit of a camp where we can obviously identify and, and work with them on, you know, how they work in training specifically in Holland, specifically with PSV. And then for 13 to 18, we did a little bit of a showcase. We wanted to kind of, you know, see if any players have potential to play at the next level, whether it be, we know with PSV, it's going to be very, very hard. But even, uh, even ourselves just scouting, identifying players for what we do as well. So. It was good. I mean, one of the things that I noticed is not a lot of players understand um, if they want to play professional or trying to go into the professional world. It's, a, it's more about getting a job more than just I like to play. And so I think the the mindset is more I want to play. Like the question I asked them, I said, you know, how many you like to play? How many you want to play? How many you have to play? And I think most people fall into the first two brackets. And they don't understand have to play means I have to work. I have to make money uh, playing football. So there's a certain mindset that you bring, a certain hunger that you bring. And what was interesting about like PSV was they do also this camp. They do it in Bonera. They do it in a couple of places, but they don't do it everywhere, right? They only have a few partners. But they said, look, in Bonera, they had a player, I think he was, I want to say 2012, 2011. But Bonera obviously doesn't have the level of talent the U.S. has is smaller, smaller island, smaller place. And so, but there was a kid who came and just his, his mentality, he just even with the players he was playing with, didn't matter what level, what age, he brought the same mentality, same, same dedication, same level, and they're actually going to give him a trial. And mm. I had to speak to the American kids. I'm like, look, this kid might not even have been the most talented here or the most potential here. But he brought something every day. And, and one of the coaches was telling me about it. I was like, yeah, he has something. And so we want to we wanna check it out more, right? And I think this, you know, the thing that got me when I was there, and, and, and this has happened throughout my time bringing coaches and different people, is that I don't think the players really grasp the opportunity or the golden ticket that could potentially be in their hands if they approach certain things. So now I'm even seeing that I have to coach, mentor, or even train kids on, on, on a trial. Like you have to train them on like, it's like, it's a job interview, right? And I think they just think showing up to the field, I scored a couple goals, I made nice passes, I didn't lose the ball, that like, those are kind of like the things they kind of expect. But then when you meet people and it, it's, it's a business operation kind of going down. So I, what I see is that most are, most are, if all are not even prepared to even go into that, that type of mental, that type of situation and actually do well. Yeah, dude. On that note, I, I've taken players to Europe and in some cases there have been trials that players have gone to on Europe. And one feedback I got from a particular trial at a very high level club, they said, Gary, look, 
the player clearly has a lot of talent, a lot of tools, and without any doubt, he has the requisite talent and tools to crack it here or being professional in Europe or whatever. But being frank, here in the staff, we observed a lot of things from, we observed bad body language, basically. And, you know, just because we have this good relationship, Gary, I just want to let you know that it's kind of like a, a, a pass for us, which is kind of a shame because clearly the player is talented, but, you know, we have our process. And one of the things that we noted was this bad body language and like, no thanks, Thank which you. is it speaks to your point though, that these players don't comprehend that there are so many things, so many factors that go into this first. And, and it's a good indicator, by the way, if the player doesn't have the proper body language, a body language of professionalism, a body language of enthusiasm, a body language of wanting to be there, of having intensity and hunger, all of those sorts of things. If you don't have that and you're showing the opposite of that, these clubs have a lot of experience and they know where that leads to. It leads to failure <laughs> ultimately. Yeah. So they're like, no thanks. You might be the next, or you have the talent to be the next Dembele or Pulisic or whatever. But if you're demonstrating this sort of body language, you're not going to be Pulisic or Dembele or anywhere remotely that you probably are going to end up crashing and burning and being nobody at all, never mind that sort of level. Were you able to speak to the player about that and, and were they able to adjust or what? Yes, after the fact. Okay. And, you know, and it goes to show you, right, the poor mentality. Instead of saying, oh, okay, cool. Like receiving the feedback in the right way and saying, oh shit, I guess this is something I really need to look at myself and try to correct. No, they didn't receive it that way. Instead, they receive it kind of like as if, as if the world has the problem and not they themselves have the problem and you're just not going to make it, man. Yeah, man. Unfortunate, but I, I, I agree with you. It's like, um, getting them to understand simple things. Like I just told them, I was, you know, one of my things, one of the things it, it, like you asked me about Colombia, it was very endearing. Like, you know, every culture, you kind of learn something new or different. So with Colombia, what was very interesting is that all the players, when you come in at Unero specifically, or even when I was at Santa Rosa, an amateur club, when you come, everybody in that club comes to shake everyone's hand who's around. Everyone's hand. These could be boys from the barrio, the hood, the ghetto, whatever. They come shake everybody's hand. They come greet everybody who's sitting there. Even when I had parents who were there on the trial, they would come and greet them, shake hands, everything. Uh, so that was at Santa Rosa, that's our Yaneros. In Holland, when you walk into the locker room, everybody comes and shakes everybody's hand. You immediately greet the coach, you say hello. I noticed that the American kids, it was kind of like sitting to the side. And it doesn't mean that they don't know. It's just that it's, it's being able to adjust the culture and, and really be able to make really to make an impression. And that's why I think even myself, like I didn't have a great college career or some amazing youth career. There was no ODP. I mean, I couldn't afford ODP and those things back in the day, but there was no ODP. There was nothing, there was nothing that said, Hey, Oh, let's take this guy, Kevin Fuller. But I think I was able in every situation I was able to, to have, I was able to make an impact. And I think people felt my presence, regardless if I was having the best day on the soccer field, yes or no. And it was able to open doors for me. And I, and I try to explain players that is that 
that's a big part of it because you're networking, you know, you're, you're, you're a business, you're your own business. And that's one of the things I, I think now that I'm really speaking to players about, cause we got a lot of players that are trying to go to different levels, whether in Portugal, Germany, and they're, they, you know, a lot of players that we work with, you know, we try to help them from levels three, four, five, you know, just get their foot in the door and see how far they can make it. And the biggest thing I tell them is like, you have to come in there and, and make an impression. And I just think, unfortunately, a lot of them don't, they just think it's just on the field. They're being rated that. And the best player, I always, always shout this player out, Christian Rodriguez that I had FC Groningen, man. If that, if that Barcelona case hadn't happened and if it had happened in 2013 and he was like able to get into Groningen, the first day they were all over me about this guy. And this mm-hmm. guy was so focused. You know, we're in Holland, pretty girls on Dutch on bikes and everything. He's asking me about football 24-7, where I had to stop him. I'm like, all right, Christian. I was like, Christian, I'm here with you for two weeks. I'm here to kind of chaperone you, show you around. But, like, you got to calm down, man. But he was like, no, 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 coach, what, what do I have to learn? What do I have to do? But this kid also had been on trial in Lyon, uh, PSG, sorry, in 2013. Uh, no, sorry, when he was 13. Lyon at, at, when he was 14. So he was supposed to go to Lyon, and then something happened with Lyon where um, – the new academy director came in, so it, t- it it messed up the deal. They were like, ah, the American kid, we're not going to do it yet. Then he goes to Groningen, and this kid just, his mentality, everything. You know, and they, they brought in scouts, agents. They brought in the, in fact, they brought in the same agent or the same CFO that worked on the Michael Bradley uh, deal when Michael Bradley came, uh, came to Heron Bay. So he was telling me all mm-hmm. this stuff. So I just remember Christian's attitude, and they loved it. They, like, he was number one, even in mentality, not just talent in their academy. They said he was number one in mentality at Groningen. And that that's back when Groningen had Virgil van Dijk. Uh, I remember seeing him there. Uh, Luis Suarez had just, but he had just been bought by Ajax a year earlier. So they were looking for that Latin market. So he fit everything, but he also had just the mentality. It was, he was just ready for it. And honestly, since that time, since 2011, personally, I don't think I maybe ran into one other player who's had that mentality who I thought, all right, this kid's ready from a professional mindset. Everyone else, I think very good players I've, I've seen, but I haven't ran into that mentality yet. Yeah. And I think it's something that's very difficult to correct. Yeah. If the mentality isn't there, you know, in my opinion, the greatest influence, well, we, we can talk about nature versus nurture, right? Because parents always talk about my eldest and my middle kid and my youngest kid. You can tell they're, they're completely different human beings from the get-go sort of thing. So there's that component, sure. But I think nature has a lot to do. I mean, nurture has a lot to do with when we're talking about professionalism and mentality and et cetera, et cetera. And since the family has an enormous, overwhelming influence. The environment that the kid is brought up in has an overwhelming influence. Once they hit 14, 15, 18 years of age, to kind of get them on the right track, if they're on the wrong track, is next to impossible, in my experience, Catherine, and in my opinion. It's like the person is the person, and they have certain habits, and you and I now as grown-ass men, we kind of understand how we even struggled changing our habits. Yeah. Oh, we always like to have this cheeseburger, right? Like, how do I get away from this? Or I always like to have my glass of wine. You know, how do I kind of give that up? Or, oh, I, 
uh, I'm not getting up early for the gym, you know, even though I should, it's fucking hard yep. to form new habits. So imagine an adolescent trying to restructure how they do things, what's in their comfort zone. It's, fu it's next to impossible, dude, which is really sad to think about because again, of the unfulfilled potential of the future regret that the human being will have. And, you know, not to plug my stuff too much, but again, this is kind of one of the reasons I wanted to create this parent education program. The master class is for these very reasons. It's like, Hey, this is what we've learned over our 20 plus year experience in this area. These are the success stories. These are the failure stories. This is our assessment of why these are successes and why these are failures. So hopefully you guys as a parent or as a family can jump on board with the positive early and, and avoid the negative things early in order to hopefully have the kid on the rails all the way and have them quote unquote fulfill their potential. I don't know if you've shared the same sentiment or experience that like once they're down the wrong path, like correcting it, it's like, mm, like one in a thousand, one in a, who knows? Yeah, it's very hard. But you know, like you said, the nurture part, parents are such a huge role. And because we, you know, I think if we take if we're taking a U.S. player and a U.S. parent, because of the, the pay to play factor, that that is so huge. Like I, I actually don't, I actually actually don't go crazy over pay to play. Like it's you know I I know it's a, I know it's a hindrance, but someone pays. You know when people say soccer free, someone pays. It's just a matter of where the investment's going and and what's the purpose of it. It's just in the states. It's not towards producing pro players. But you know one of the things I even told the kids, I say, look, your parents paid for this camp. Your parents paid for this clinic. And in front of the parents, I said, I said, you know what? You want to know the quickest way to get to get the return on your investment or uh, with all this stuff. Like you, you go up to the coach and say, is the kid working hard and do all this stuff? Take them off the team. Save your money. Save your time. That's the quickest way to wake someone the hell up. Because when it's taken away, it's like, oh, wait, I'm not on the team. I don't have this. I don't have this. Like people, I see people like going up to coaches. Like, he, he doesn't want to do this. He wants, or she doesn't want to do this. Then it's clearly they don't want to do it. It's just very, it's a very simple way to say, okay, I'm not going to spend time on this. I'm not going to invest time, money, effort, whatever it may be. And, um, and then from there, then people show their true colors. Some people need to be woken, or, you know, they need to be woke up by those type of situations. I think people don't want to take those drastic situations. I, I think now with this, this generation, like, like I said, Gary, I, most of my soccer opportunities, I found myself. My mom was, I just dragged her along. She was like, okay, okay. You know, she was like, he wants to do it. And some of the best ones I've seen, like, you know, like even when kids are, you know, going back to USU soccer, when kids are changing clubs, I've even consulted with the kid. I'm not saying the thing of ask my kid what he wants to do. I'm not on, the, I hope people understand what I really mean. What I mean is, is your kid bringing these issues to you and has a personality and actually a feeling and an emotion towards what's actually happening. Because I see parents making moves and doing certain things. I was like, does he even show you? Like, they need to come with it towards you. Like, hey, man, like, I can't be on this team anymore. Or I need to to do this. Or, you know, they're complaining or they, they want more or something. Like, it needs to come from them. 
And I think they're very surprised, you know, because if you, like I said, if you ask every kid in, in the U.S., most of them say, hey, you want to be pro? Yeah, I want to be pro, you know, but they have no clue what they want to jump into. And I always hit them with the worst. I'm like, man, are you ready to live in an apartment with three guys who you don't know? You know, I got a player in, in Portugal right now. He had to get an apartment as long as parents got an apartment. I was like, oh, well, you know, I said, like, oh, you got an apartment? He's like, yeah, yeah. I got three roommates from Hungary. He's like, they speak a little bit of English. So I'm like, all right, I'm proud of you. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm loving it here. I'm doing well. I'm like, all right, good, good. Keep going. You're going to play U19 this year. Let's see what you could do. But I was like, are you ready to be kind of alone, not knowing people, having to adjust? And guess what? Most of you still won't make it. So it's like, are you still ready to go down that route? And, and not just the glory part that everybody's putting with the game. You know, most of you will not play into the sexy Champions League games. You know what I mean? Are you ready for that? And uh, just be honest with yourself. So, no, man, I'm I'm with you. You know, or the sexy MLS uh, Miami uh, <laughs> RV Pink. It was a <laughs> Pink Stadium game. So. We'll get we'll get there. We'll get there for sure. Um, yeah, because I've been on this kick that you're talking about for for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, expressions like "you're the average of the five people you most kind of engage with." Uh, expressions like "show me your friends, I'll show you your future." sort of thing. So all this speaks to the environment that the player is around and that environment is going to shape their brains and their minds. And that in turn is going to translate into the real world. You know, how successful are you or, or not? Again, you try telling this to a 14 year old, a 16 year old, an 18 year old, a 20 year old. I mean, once they hit like maybe 23, Mm -hmm. right? And they've lived some things and they've had their share of successes and failures and they have had lived long enough to maybe reflect a little bit in their past mm-hmm. and reflect, you know, say you're 23, you're able to look back to when you were 20 or when you were 19 or 18 or 16 and kind of analyze things in a little bit more of a mature way because you have some life experience at this point. Until you get there, I'm going to be frank, you don't know what you're talking about or what you have no idea and i don't blame them i mean seriously we think back when we were 18 19 20 years old and you're like what a tremendous dumb fuck i was you know when i was 20 i was dumb Um, so so uh, so again it comes back to their family as well because their family is the one that they're probably most entrusting and if the family does not have and how can they have right but if they don't have the expertise in the domain, if they don't have the experience in the ecosystem and domain or whatever, how in the world is a parent going to advise their child about football if they themselves don't know anything about how all of this works, you see? And that then touches on one of the reasons why you see a lot of professional players, if you look at their parents, well, they were professional players are close to it because they went through it all. And so they actually do have sufficient experience to say, no, son, I know you're going through this rough patch or you're not being played or you're not making this kind of money or X, Y, or whatever the case may be, or the coach doesn't like you or whatever. No, son, let me tell you how you should be approaching this. Um, But 99% of the kids don't have a former professional soccer parent as their parent. Um, no, it's, you're right. Kev, it's difficult. Kev, I don't know when it was a couple of weeks ago, we connected on WhatsApp and you're like, Hey man, we need to 
jump on again or whatever. Yeah. There's stuff happening. And I think it had something to do with the messy thing. Maybe I'm mistaken. Yeah. Do you, do you remember what you had in mind? Like what it is you wanted to shoot the shit about? Yeah, man. I, so I think it was, it was first the announcement of Messi and then everyone, which of course is exciting from a standpoint. You're talking about the, one of the greatest or if not the greatest player in history coming to the U.S. to play. But I think people, as we kind of always do, we, we kind of weighted the scale like it was change for U.S. soccer for all of it, like in terms of what it could mean. We think it means a culture shift and I don't think it does. I think it's, you know, and never to call Messi a circus. It's not saying it's a circus, but the best way to describe this is that the circus is in town. Everybody's going to come and watch the circus. But when the circus leaves, the people leave. Now, will it influence kids in the Miami area to play football more? Potentially. Have kids been playing football in Miami or in these, or in these uh, soccer first families? Yes, they have already. What they don't have is the constant, you know, we talk about promotional relegation all the time, but all it means is that you create more access points to create opportunities for communities to come together around a game. That's really what it, that's really what it means, right? Because you start to create, you have a, a club, that club, because the other club is trying to reach a certain level. They're like, okay, then we need to scout more. We need to identify more because you're doing it and we don't want to fall behind you or we're competing with you. So that means you start going out doing more. You start going out to more businesses, getting more sponsorships, creating more opportunities, whatever it may be. It's a body kind of works together. And we're only at the business part. So, you know, if you take the body, we're just like the business part. We're like, oh, business, business, business. But the heart and soul is not in it. The rest of the body is just not functioning. So because even the messy deal is business, it's business. It's not spirit, soul. It's not still a real connection because even then all those people coming to support Messi are not actually coming to support the actual U.S. players that are there. They're not. Or the club or, or, or Miami FC or anything. They're not go going there to support Inter Miami. They're going there to watch the player. Exactly. That one player. Exactly. Watch one player. So it doesn't create this, this feeling. And you know what was interesting? Um, so here in my, my local town, Scotha, right? We're about, what, 50 minutes from Amsterdam. I did an event there, I want to say a month and a half ago. We were doing this thing called Friday Night Football, right? Where we go and play. We bring people together, bring businesses, play, whatever. So we do it at the local club, Scotha United, um, where we are. After it, it was a long day of like from 2 to 9 p.m. After we're done and everyone's like, you know, we're doing, we're, we're taking all the stuff down, all the banners, all the fields, everything. At the end, every, everybody that was helping us just comes inside the club and we, you know, some people start to have a beer, some people start to have a Coke and we're all talking and all generations are talking, right? So here you got me, American black guy there with a guy who's been in the club for like 30, 40 years. Then there's other, other younger guys around and everyone's around. And then they're talking about, oh yeah, we got this big game this weekend. Hey, Kef, you're going to be there because, uh. You know, it's a promotion game. We can really move up. And this is not to move up some pro level. This is talk, like it wasn't about moving up to play Ajax or somebody bigger, right, for, for people that are trying to get you to understand. This is maybe, I want to say, sixth or seventh level in Holland to move up. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we won promotion. And, and my son's teammates are in pictures with the players that won promotion. And it's like about the city. And everyone's excited that they did well. 
I was sitting there and I was like, I'm really a part of this club. You know, I'm starting to help the kids with development here in this club. And I'm a, I'm a part of the club. You know, there is a community connection to what we're doing. That connection draws me in to spend money, to support, to mean something, to want to see that team succeed. And it brings it all together. It brings the business part together. We are totally missing that part, the part to actually make it sustainable. Because now after this messy circus leaves, you're gonna have to go find the next circus. So you're like, oh, messy leaves, okay, now next is Neymar. I know that's the plan. You, you know that's the plan. Mm -hmm. Oh, messy player, now let's bring in the next best possible thing. When Mbappe and Holland are, are still too young to come over here, Neymar would be great. Neymar and Pogba next in Miami. I want to interject and play the devil's advocate card here because okay. we need to kind of debunk some of the immune response in this country to what you just said. Okay. You know that I get it. I understand. Okay. But let me transplant the brain of the MLS fan right now, right? Or that specific monoculture that exists. And what's going through their mind as you're saying these things? One, they'll say, oh, well, Kef, that experience that you had there with the six-tier Dutch club or whatever, great. But here in America, we don't have that culture. You know what I'm saying? We just started soccer 30 years ago. You know, Holland has had 128,000 years yeah. of soccer. So, hey, cut us some slack here. Maybe in 50 years, we'll have that story here as well. And you and I both know that that is totally misguided and totally wrong, but that is what they're thinking as an initial immune response to one of the things that you just said. Mm -hmm. So I have my way of responding to that, but how do you respond to that when they interrupt and say, whoa, 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 Kefren, you're just talking nonsense. Like, of course we don't. Yes, we don't have that here, Kef, but the reason why we don't have it here is because, come on, man, we just started soccer. Yeah. Give us some more time. No, the more time thing, let me just say, when you start from the position of, okay, the top is only that matters. So, you know, it's like, a, like I said, with a body or anything growing, right? There has to be soil. We have to grow it. We have to build it. We have to grow it. Everything builds upon each other. We're, we're disconnected. So there won't be a change. It will still be the same 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. Still believing, still doing the same thing because we're not building the, the steps that are needed to, to take it to that level where people really identify with the club. It really represents them. They don't need just, okay, this player came and, and, and this is what's going to make us care about it now because we were able to get messy here. I actually have to do this, Gary. Maybe me and you got to get together and do this. I was trying to add up the numbers of U.S. investment that has gone overseas. Take that total number and show people. People left the shores of this country to go invest in places where they're foreign, where they probably had to spend more money on, you know, lawyers or figuring out all the rules and doing all these things. You know, they spent all this money and you can't tell me they would not have spent it in the U.S. with the numbers that they see showing up to SoFi Stadium or Vegas or Houston. You can't tell me they would not spend that same amount of money to create special, special clubs. But again, what we've done is that we're not understanding how things grow. I mean, I think, I, you know, it's hard to bring things back to nature and body and everything, but I think. No, go, But go. I think if we, if we break it down that way, it allows us to understand how things grow and how things grow organically and then why you create a, a sustainable business at the end. Right? Like I was in DC for the Arsenal versus the MLS All-Stars, right? I didn't go to it. I, I was just there at the same time with PSV. 
Black after we did our PSV camp, one of the nights we just, I think it was the night of the game, we went and went into DC and there was a boatload of Arsenal fans everywhere, right? Arsenal jerseys everywhere. They had their own bar, everything, like very, very well supported, fans from everywhere. And it's like, why are people drawn to something that they have no direct, like, cultural upbringing? It's because it's authentic. It's because they can feel it. It's music. Why do people like Michael Jackson or Elvis Presley or whatever? If you feel something authentic, it, it draws you in, even if you have no, you know, like, everyday with that core. Even if, it, even if it's 10,000 miles away. Exactly. It draws yeah. you in. It draws you in. But so, again, the immune response is like, well, Kefren, we Americans, we like winners. We like the best of the best. Yeah. And since Arsenal is the best of the best, that's why they have Arsenal jerseys. That's why they feel it. That's why blah, blah, blah. That, that's their excuse. You know what I'm saying? It's also nonsense because how then do you explain the Wrexhams of the world? Really? How then do you explain a whole bunch of second, third, nth tier clubs that do have support? very far away mm -hmm. from them. How do you explain that USL teams from the very beginning, also many of them have enormous followings as well. They fill up the stadium. Yep. Uh, recall when Sacramento Republic first came on the scene at the, their first year, full stadium. I don't know what the number was, 20,000 fans, 25,000 fans. And they fairly sustained it for a while. You think about Detroit City FC at a lower tier than uh, USL. I think they were operating a third or fourth tier of American soccer in Detroit, filling up their small stadium. Sure, it's smaller, it, but it's still four or 5,000 fans. And the atmosphere is much more rabid and real and authentic than the MLS franchises yep. have in, in their thing. How do you explain Chattanooga FC? Yes way up there also operating like third or fourth tier filling up their stadium how about cincinnati before it became an mls franchise and was also a usl team filling up their stadium twenty thousand plus people these are second tier third tier fourth tier teams in the united states where supposedly we don't have the culture to sustain these things and they're pack in their stadiums. Yep. You see, so this whole idea of, oh, well, Kefren, we Americans only support the best of the best. That's why there's Arsenal jerseys and that's why there were Arsenal things. It's fucking nonsense, okay? And just imagine that, again, if the system were open, because that is the only problem in this country, then the billions of dollars that you mentioned went overseas to purchase clubs overseas. First off, they went over there because they couldn't purchase it here. The doors closed because the other thing that people get wrong is MLS doesn't just let you in if you have the money. You can say, hey, MLS, I'm in San Diego or I'm in wherever it happens to be. I am going to pay you, MLS, $2.5 billion with a B so that I can have a franchise. They'll say no. It's not about the money. It's not about the money. You also have to be aligned with them, be part of their club and, you know, be part of the group, right? And, and align yourself completely. So you can't just come in with a wad of cash and buy yourself an MLS franchise. Absolutely mm. not. Okay. But if it was open, these billions of dollars that went overseas, Americans, they can start in the second tier here, in the third tier here, in the fourth tier here, and just build it up organically, as you're saying, 
until they get to the top. Maybe they won't get there because maybe they're not good enough or maybe they won't invest enough, but they would do it. Exactly. You see, there will be a huge influx of cash. And and I'm sorry to ramble on here, but I'll keep going. USL, USL saying, hey, we're going to implement promotion relegation, blah, blah, blah. First off, it's not true promotion relegation because pr true promotion relegation is a completely open, laissez-faire ecosystem and competition, whoever's, it's a me pure meritocracy. Yep. And if it's not throughout the entire pyramid, and if it has all these rules with territory rights and all this sort of stuff, like it's not promotion relegation. So even if USL implements it, it's artificial because I myself can't just start my club here next to Orange County FC because th there's some sort of bubble, some sort of territory, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To actually get a team. Yep. So I can't do that. And I hope this plays out. I could start say in the fourth tier. I think there's USL championship, USL league one, USL league two, and, and, yep. and they're going to develop. I think this promotion relegation thing will develop it a bit because people can jump in at the lower tier for much lower cost okay. and say, fuck it. Let's see if I can get to the USL championship yep, yep. this way. And then the operating budget, maybe for a fourth tier program is, you know, low six figures, 150 mm K -hmm. budget, hundred K budget to whatever that's totally tractable. You can do it. And believing in ourselves and our capabilities, we'll build the motherfucker and we'll grow the motherfucker. And we have a brand behind the motherfucker yeah. and we'll get support behind the motherfucker and we will get to the USL championship. And then the valuation of our club, the business side of it, the valuation of our club will grow appreciably. If I cannot afford yeah. myself or our crew or our group to have the stadium requirements of USL championship for us to actually get promoted there, it's still not a problem because there's all this money out there, investors, people who want in on the game and they'll see our program and our project and our club and we can lobby them or they can come to us and say, hey, Gary, we see that you're on a trajectory to get to USL championship with your team, right? You were in the fourth tier. Now you're in the third tier. Next step is USL championship. Here, let me give you a hundred million dollars in exchange for 40% ownership and what, whatever it may be, whatever the case may be, but the money is there. Is this a little bit of foreshadowing, okay. Gary? Are we are we talking? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see what USL ends up doing. Okay. Um, because I think if they're smart about it, I think if they do it as correctly as possible, as open as possible, with as least restrictions as possible, there's an opportunity there. Mm -hmm. And we will, I truly believe it, we will eat so many people's lunches here. If we do it in Southern California, we will eat the galaxy's lunch. We will eat LAFC's lunch because now we will have a demonstrated path for high potential players that are very young. Because if we're competing in the fourth tier, the third tier, or even the second tier USL championship, there's no reason why we can't get a top flight 15 year old and have him playing already with grown men in this competitive circuit. Yep. And given our track record, will develop the 15-year-old, a U.S. youth national team type pl caliber player. Yep. Come over here, develop you, play with men. By the time you're 17, 18, if you want to go to MLS, no problem. We'll make that happen. If you don't want to go to MLS, you want to go to Europe, no problem. We've developed you and we, I mean, we run the club, Kefren. We'll, we'll, we'll ship you and we have a global network. We will ship you over. And this pathway could become the business model of many, many clubs throughout the country. It's just about time. Many clubs throughout the country. And it is more organic in nature. 
think about, okay, we're still very small, but we do have a brand, right? And we do have a, a nationwide number of followers. And if we do this, we'll have a, an organically created club with nationwide followers at this point that stands for certain values and principles and worldview that is not manufactured at all. So when I write down on the club website, these are the things that we believe in. It's real. Yeah. It didn't fall from the sky because I purchased a franchise that never existed. And now I'm just going to make up the values of this franchise. And I think that speaks to what you're talking about exists in Holland, exists in Europe. It's all real and authentic. And you don't need multi, uh, multi-generational runway of time to have that. I don't need yep. Kevin Fuller to have played for this club and then his son pl plays for the club and then the grandson plays for the club. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, that's why Arsenal has the yeah. following or that's why the sixth division club in ha Holland has the following. You don't need all of that. You just need something fucking real, man. The, the, to bring people in. I mean, look how people are, you know, I look at how people are talking about Brighton. I didn't even know Brighton existed probably five years ago. Being yeah, same. <laughs> I didn't know, bro. <laughs> like, you know, I was a follower in the whole English league. And now I'm like, Brighton? When five years ago, everyone was talking about who? Southampton. Southampton had yeah. sold Garrett Bell, Theo Walcott, Oxlade Chamberlain. They were the ones who were known for selling. Now, all of a sudden, this the script is totally flipped. They're relegated. <laughs> and these guys are taking them. Think yeah. about it. Southampton yeah. was in England was what Brighton, what people are calling Brighton now. Yeah. And they're from the same general vicinity. I think they're, they're, they're rivals, right? Huge rivals. They're from the same general vicinity. Think about that. Mm -hmm. We just, mm -hmm. we sit here and we're like, oh, this can't happen. This can't happen. You know how we feel about pro-rel. I, I think, I think we're pro-rel. The U.S. will be the most competitive in the world in 15 years. Immediately, bro. And, and people are, oh, magically this is going to happen, guys. Why, why do you guys think about magic? It's not fucking magic. It's first off, we have deep experience in, in this. And secondly, it's just fundamental like economics, right? If you allow people to operate a business, yeah, and have it be a meritocracy, that is what allows investment to flow into that sector of the economy. If you close it all up, the amount of investment is going to be completely limited. So if you open it and you have and it's not just going to be domestic billionaires that could jump in here. The whole globe, right? Money from the globe can jump in here. And they, they're hungry to jump in here because they know we have a world-class soccer market and always have had it. 1994 World Cup. This is 30 years ago. Is still the most attended World Cup was you were in the, ever. Yep. And it was in the United States. And ever since then, friendlies, when... Manchester United comes, Chelsea comes, Real Madrid comes, whatever. They filled the stadiums. A hundred thousand people in the Rose Bowl would go and watch. Where did all these people come from? I thought we, we didn't like soccer. They came from what? They magically just came out of the cracks. If you want to talk about magic. Yep. And then we ignore, we ignore these facts, right? That is a straight up fact. 
Houston. Somebody sent me a text message the other day. Who played in Houston just the other day? Uh, was it Barcelona? Barcelona. Um, uh, God damn it. It's one of these two, I, I, one of these two preseason friendly teams. Packed stadium of 70 some odd thousand. But then if you look at the Houston Dynamo, they can't sell out. You, know, you ain't getting 70,000. You ain't getting. Okay. So clearly the vast majority of soccer people, soccer fans in this country, awesome. don't go to MLS matches. They don't. They don't pay attention. They don't support it. And, and now, because we got Messi, when the Messi game comes, everybody comes and they make the money and they keep it going. And also, just to touch on another thing, obviously the business, but I also want to just touch on, I think people are overreaching on how much it affects the U.S. player. Because somebody on Twitter did write to me, oh, them being able to see Messi up close and all those guys. I'm like, yeah, of course. You're going to see Messi up close. He's going to do incredible things. He's going to do this and do that. But I guarantee you, if a young, hungry player says, hey, I want to be a top player. Messi would tell him, well, you have to leave. He wouldn't, I mean, he probably won't say that out loud in the, the MLS. I'm pretty sure he's being coached on what to say or what not to say if he gets these certain questions. But even Busquets, when you saw his first interview, he used the word, it's more of a spectacle. He just said, oh, yeah. Like they already came out and said, they've already been prepped on, okay, this is more entertainment. This is more a spectacle. No pressure at all, really. You know, like people are just, Drawing that like PSG fans are going crazy on Messi, which is insane, but they're still going crazy on Messi after they want to work up mm -hmm. everything. It's like you still have all these things going on. It's like because it's their club, no player, no matter how great you are, is they're still not bigger than the club. The club and what they represent is them. And we are now in total circus mode in the U.S. I just call it a circus, and it's not to relate. Makes, no, because it is. No, it is. It's not insulting. It's just it's what it is. That's what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know. It's like it's it's even even in the two games. Even me and you were talking. I woke up the next morning in Holland. I was like, look at this fucker Messi scoring a scoring a freaking free kick to win the game. You know, of course, on his first game, I was like, this just shows you how great he is. But at the same time, it's like. We're getting so hyped, and I'm like, okay, I was telling someone, if I was the the right winger or playing in a mess of position, and I was a younger player, I'd be like, sell me. I have no chance to be on the field. I have to go. Yeah. Yeah. This is not going to develop me because you're going to play. Listen, if he decides to play for five more years, he plays for five more years. I'm not of any value to you. I have to go. Where if you look at, you know, look at a club like a Real Madrid, Ronaldo's a legend. Sorry, it's time to go. Vader. Yeah, get out, get the fuck you out. You gotta go. Benzema, mm -hmm. one Ballon d'Or the year earlier. Oh, sorry, we gotta get ready for Mbappe to be here. Thank you for being here. Gotta go. You get what I yeah. mean? <laughs> Otherwise, they can't stay competitive. They, they are forced. They're forced to have the best of the best at all times. At all times. And you gotta go. At all times. So, and then, like you said, environment, everything we talked about, all of a sudden, this environment that all these players are in is not forcing you, is not putting that pressure on you, is not forcing the fans to put pressure on. I, I, read, I read another article today where the guy wrote something like, oh, Messi just has to have a valiant effort, get him close to the playoffs, and da -da -da -da, that's it. There's not much pressure. And, da -da -da. and I'm like, this cannot, we can't clearly think this is going to get us prepared. Because like, really, like, what's the overall goal? Like, what, what do people really, really want? You know what I mean? Which people? Which people? Well, we already know that soccer is ran by the suburban soccer culture which is pretty apathetic to being the best, I would say. You know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just entertainment. It's, it's entertainment, it's something for your kid to do.
I deal with a lot of people from the suburban soccer market and other soccer markets. If it's not, just being perfectly clear with you, especially if you don't have a background in global football and how serious it is, is you're going to have to, there's a certain lifestyle that comes, it, it is your life. It represents you. It isn't just something that you bring your kid to or that they do or they trade on it. It's like, it's just something that just represents you. And I just, I don't see how we're supposed to take that leadership, that culture, and then say, hey, let's go take on the world and and say we're going to win. And even players who are in the suburban culture who have that mindset, even those families who have that mindset and all of that, you have to make sure you put yourself in that culture as a fan, parent, player as much as possible. Because being in the U.S. soccer culture, you'll find yourself just like, oh, it's okay we won this turn. Oh, it's okay we do this. Oh, it's okay we're, we're doing this or doing that. And you think you're doing enough. But I'm like, at the end of it, when you look and see out of all those 10 years of investment, at the end, your kid ends up going to a college where he's not even getting a scholarship, where some kid from Bayern Munich or Ajax or Barcelona is taking the scholarship. So it's like all these things, I try to speak to him. I'm like, man, like, just think about what you're doing. Think about this whole system and what it's really built. It is not building players for the top, top level. I still have not heard any player everybody is raving about that's a young player in the MLS that someone is saying, wow, we got one here. Like the whole world is like, we got <laughs> one here. I don't know who you're listening to because every single day I log on to Twitter, you got a whole cohort of MLS media and MLS media adjacent saying, wow, we've got a player right here, baby. You know, and then it goes quiet when the player doesn't work out and nobody remembers anything, but they go through their stages, dude. Like fucking wow uh what was his name the fucking kid who played the youth world cup blonde and, and was at atlanta united and then tata martino said get the fuck out of here and then he just disappeared and is playing usl now oh um i know who you're talking about i think it's at indy or somewhere right? or las vegas now yeah yeah 100 percent. what's his Carrollton. name andrew bro the fucking media around this kid was like off the fucking chart. First, it was Freddie Adu yeah, way yeah. back in the day, right? And and then regularly and more recent times, yeah, Andrew Carlton. Yeah. Oh my god, fucking world class potential. Did you see what he did to Paraguay? And actually, in the World Cup, and I'm like, yeah, actually, I did see what happened. And this fucking a shocking player. What are you talking about? And they're like, what are you talking about, Gary? Didn't you see how he brought the ball down when it was way up in the air and the goal that he scored and like citing me statistics or selecting certain highlight clips, yeah. right? And I, and even within the highlight clips that they're saying, look at this, look at that. I'm like, yeah, you, you guys clearly aren't seeing it. You're not seeing that that is actually not a good touch. You're not seeing that that was actually not a good decision, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, clearly it was off the field matters that kind of, from what I understand, derailed him, but it's almost on a fucking weekly, monthly basis. There's this new fucking guy, yeah. Ricardo Pepe, he, amazing, fantastic, good. I'm on his team. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Me personally, like I like the kid yeah. and I, I think he's going to have a bright future and all these things. But when he first kind of arrives on the scene, it's like, man, we've got a fucking killer, a world-class world beater here. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we talking? Wait, slow down, wait. slow down. And you and I had this conversation, Kevin. We never, I don't think we ever published it. it years ago, right? Three, four years ago, when Polisic and McKinney were first kind of like really breaking through at a high level and everybody was like world-class this, world-class that. And you and I were, we recorded it. 
we're like, man, these people are crazy. What are you people talking about? Like you have such a narrow worldview. Do you not see all these other players from the other countries, the Italians, the French, the Brazilians, the Argentinians, the Ukrainians, the Croatians, you have like a huge blind spot as to the 17, 18 year olds from all those other countries and what they're doing and what their valuations are, you're so zoomed in on the Americans that you have no idea, right? No idea. And then what happened to Pulisic? Chelsea, bench, 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 bench. And instead of the Americans kind of looking in the mirror and say, oh, maybe, maybe our analysis is a little off, right? Maybe we're not yeah. quite right. Instead of thinking that, what do we see? What do we hear? Chelsea doesn't know what it's doing. Chelsea doesn't know what the diamond that they have on their hands. Really? Multiple coaches did the same thing and they're all idiots and you guys know better. Yeah. And Chelsea Football Club with, to take your guys's phrase, with its hundred and some odd year history, doesn't know what the fuck it's doing. Yeah. yeah. Great. He's got his move to AC Milan. Maybe he'll crush it, Kevin. Yep. Maybe he'll crush it. Okay. But even with crushing it, it's not the same player that everybody here made him out to be. Yeah. I think we're, we're, we're looking for that with that silver bullet or that savior type of thing instead of just, mm. let's just be honest. Like, is the talent and the potential there to create a lot of Pulisic and McKinney's and even better potential? Better. 100%. 100%. 100%. Can be there. But what they're all over the exactly. place. Exactly. But the critical moments, right? Like you said, nurture environment. The critical moments, and I just think the critical moments really from 14 to like 18, 19 are missing drastically. Yeah. Are missing yeah. to get you to that level. Don't overhype people. Don't talk to them. Don't tell kids they're the next this or the next that or they have to be this. You know, I was talking to a PSV coach about Cody Gakpo, right? Cody Gakpo mm. was middle of the pack in the academy at PSV. He was middle of the pack. They said he only mm. broke out around 17, 18. He finally kind of grew into his body. In fact, in his development, because he was a little bit taller than everyone when he was younger, they said they played him too much at forward. So then finally, I think around... 15, 16 ish, they started to play him on the wing. So it kind of developed some other parts of his game. And then he, he really took off around 17, 18, and then became, you know, 18. He broke through in the first team, got a spot, and moved to Liverpool and everything like that, right? They said there were players better than him. I don't know those players. I don't know those names. Yeah. Yeah. They don't even exist anymore. And then even the, the competition to stay at that level, you know, and the, trying to tell people, like, you know, one thing I was trying to tell players, because, you know, even with development, I was telling them that when you're trying to play at certain clubs, every club, like we've talked about, every club knows possession, you know, even the lower level clubs, all of them can play possession. But if you're a technical player who wants to be similar to Iniesta and these guys, Pirlo, whatever, you only have in a league about four to six teams that you can play for, meaning they're going to dominate the ball. There's only four to six teams in a league. That means if you don't have the other side of your game, that's why I was talking about pro. I was like, listen, yes, you better have all that technique side and everything, but you can go to a lower level league game in, in, in France and see a guy who's like, what the fuck? Believe you're not like, you're amazing. And this guy can't even touch the top four in, in France. Can't touch Lyon, can't touch those guys. And he's like, well, you're amazing. But he's got to do other sides of the game. You know, they have to be physically fit. 
winning second balls, playing more of a, a counterattack game, you know, different things. And I was like, so that means even if you're doing this, there's so much off with our developers. Like, even if you're doing all these things, like kids, like I know kids in America now, there's more talk of possession. There's more talk of this, more talk of that. But I'm like, even then you have to be so good to play at this top, 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 top club. Or you're going to be where there's more than 60, 70% of the clubs you're going to play for aren't going to have a majority of the ball. They're going to have about 40%. Yeah, and then what do you do? Then what do you do? Are you ready? Are you prepared mm -hmm. for that? Mentally mm -hmm. prepared for that. You know, because I've had some players who've gone to lower league Germany. Like, oh, the, the coach told me I have to play exactly like this and do exactly like this. But then I also explained to him, I said, the coach in one month, if he loses two games, that's 50% loss already for the month. That means mm -hmm. they already start looking for another coach. For two mm -hmm. losses in a row, they already start looking for someone else. They already start getting prepared. The third loss is just saying, okay, you're pretty much out of here. One more in the next two or three games, and you're definitely out of here. But we definitely have someone lined up. If in a six-game stretch, you don't win, you have four games, maybe a tie and three losses, bye. Yeah. So a coach has to do what? He has to trust you. He has to trust you because his shelf life is about four to six weeks before it's gone mm. by because whether or not four to six weeks that can mean you fucked up our promotion or you're sending us to relegation is real quick that's the pressure that's the preparation that's what you have to go through so that's the thing i try to tell the players they think it's i want to play i want to do this and even though look my son's eight very young so i'm like i'm chilling i've seen i actually yeah. nines play and all that and sometimes they get you hype you're like oh my god I look at Level mm -hmm. so we got to do more. And I'm like, all right, let me chill. Let me chill. If he wants to do this, he wants mm -hmm. to do this. Because really and truly, this pro-life is not sexy. It is not mm -hmm. made for everyone. It is not something that everyone should do. It is something, in fact, there'll be many times where you might, what bourbon culture would consider miserable. Um, you're going to yeah. be essentially miserable. You're going to be in a room. Yeah. You're going to be like, man, I'm just like, I'm out here. Like, I remember seeing Gio Reyna's uh, interview, and he was, like, at his, his apartment in Dortmund. And I don't think his parents or anybody live with them. And I see him doing the interview, and I was like, this dude's not happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, bro, like, you know this. It's fucking out of the entire 24-hour period of the day, it's, like, two, three, maybe four hours of football. And then the rest of the day, it's, like, what do you do? Yeah, what do you they're do? They're lucky they got yeah. all the Xbox and all that, all that stuff. And even then. Yeah, imagine how it was back in the mm. day. No FaceTiming with family, no Xbox, no nothing, dude. I had the card. Do you remember the calling card, the goal? The goal card? The gold card, yeah, to be able to, yeah. DOL? And you had limited minutes. Yeah, that one. I used to call them. I was, hey, man, I got 30 minutes. 30 minutes. How y'all doing? Okay, boom, boom, boom. That was it. I had to spend the rest of my day figuring out the rest of my day and no Netflix, no none of that stuff. But but like you said, it's like, yeah, now they have some of these things that kind of with the time, but it's not a, I think Alfonso Davies was speaking on it too. He's like, it's not, he's like, you're a young guy, you're coming over. Everyone else is married. They got kids and, you know, so they have things that take up their day. You're kind of mm -hmm. just over here in a foreign country and like, how much can you really do? You know what I mean? That's why I said like mentally, getting prepared for this and then really understanding what you're really trying to do. There's so much that goes with it. So that's why I'm a little bit like, you know, when everyone says these players are coming over and doing these things, I'm like, many times you're going to need that. The real sacrifice is going to be off the field. You're taking so yeah. much from your life to just be on a pitch, which you love to play it, but it's like, that's the side. So I, I don't know if many family or players are really prepared for that part. No, and there's pros and cons because let's say that you have the capability to stay here in the States and get signed by MLS or whatever. Pros and cons. Pro, potentially pro. Yep. 
is you don't have to go through all that type of struggle and challenge and obstacles, mm -hmm. but that can also be viewed as a con because if you're chilling here in your comfort zone and you don't have the, any of those sorts of pressures at all, and you can still go to in and out and then after training and stuff, all of your friends are available to go out and do whatever and stuff. All of that can very easily or just as easily, if not more easily, tank your career and you're basically done. And the other con, obviously, is if you do stay here and you fail here, you can kiss going overseas goodbye, right? And if you stay here and you do well, it's still absolutely 99% unlikely that you're going to be allowed to go overseas anyways. Everybody only focuses on the dozen guys who luckily got platformed by the senior men's national team. And as a consequence of that, luckily had their MLS franchise and, and the league itself say, you know what? It strategically makes sense and not just for the money at all. It's not about the money, but it strategically makes sense to allow this player to get a transfer yeah. overseas because 10 times the amount, if you take the number of players that have actually transferred to MLS overseas since 2019, wouldn't this revolution happen as a consequence of certain factors, yeah. wink, wink, Efren, take that number. There are 10 times the amount of players that actually went over there who have interest or have offers from overseas and they are shut down and torpedoed by the league or the franchise or whatever. So just because somebody might be interested in you overseas doesn't mean that you're going to get the opportunity to go overseas. So I'm just painting the pros and cons, right? It's almost like a pick your poison type of thing. Do you want to go over there and face the challenges that you're highlighting, Kefren, which are hard as shit, yep. but you're over there. And by the way, if you fail overseas, yeah, you can always come crying home and come back over here and have and, and get a professional opportunity here. But it doesn't work the other way around. If you fail here in the States, you ain't going overseas. Um, that's for sure. Well, actually, I meant to ask you a question. Like, is there any American who in the league MLS who's getting a transfer over this summer? Like, I haven't heard that much. I haven't heard anybody's in. Yeah, that's a good observation, I mean, dude. I haven't heard much either. Obviously, Aaron's his brother, but he went early. He went in January, right? He already got his transfer. Yeah, he already went six months ago, whenever it was. Yeah. Okay, so there's no one. Is there anyone else as of right now? Because this is a big that's window. A this is a big one. Bro, I, I didn't even think about that, man. This is a really good point. If nobody goes over this summer, that's something that should be talked about. Why? Why not? What's happened? Yeah, I mean, how can you not have one player not be, I mean, if I'm thinking about it, how could not one player be coming from the league over mm -hmm. that people are talking about? Because, like, I'm just trying to think, like, there has to be somebody. Well, there's a whole bunch of guys that have been platformed and are starters here in the league and are doing quote unquote, well, there have to be offers on the table for sure. It's a matter of whether the franchise slash league allow it to happen. So we talked about Messi and inter Miami a little bit, you know, it just reminds me of a little bit about the culture or lack thereof here in the U.S. and why and stuff like that. And them saying, oh, we need a 20 more years or 15 more years or 10 more years or 50 years to develop the culture that you're talking about. And something that's always intrigued me and I think people should pay attention to, and they can see it now, right now, live through it now. If you just notice the messy situation and Busquets coming over and what they were able to demonstrate against Atlanta United and just that one match, some of us who have a 
background in football, have a, a football heritage, would point out subtly, right? I didn't do this, but others in the space would point out, hey, do you see how low a level kind of, right? Or imply how low a level MLS is that somebody like Busquets, who's 35, skinny, lanky, definitely not fast, definitely not strong, is not going to be winning, tracking back in a foot race defensively. He's not going to do any of these things that we value here. He can just show up, train maybe like two little training sessions with the team, and then jump on the field and just completely dominate. I'm sure you noticed there was an immune response by the monoculture that loves MLS or wants to defend MLS. An immune response immediately is trying to defend the league. In one way or another, oh, well, these are world-class players. Of course, they're going to do this. Or, oh, you saw Atlanta United has one of the worst, quote-unquote, defenses in the league, et cetera. Whatever story that can make up, they made up to try to not have it imply that the league or its franchises is, is much lower level than overseas. That, to me, demonstrates something. In all the footballing cultures, which presumably is what we want to evolve to, having a strong, deep football culture like the world powers, there is intense criticism by the fan base and by the media towards their own teams, towards their own players, towards their own league, towards their own federation. Intense scrutiny. And here, like we're developing it supposedly, right? Or people who already have it are coming into the MLS space and are bringing that deep culture of inspection, criticism, highlighting of flaws of players, of the league, of who, you name it. Yep. And all of a sudden, the people who are of the league, the media and, and their followers combat that, go against it. So do you want a football culture or do you not want a football culture? So the answer is they don't want a football culture like in the rest of the world, like in the top nations of the world. What they want is a football culture that is within the boundaries that they define. But it's fascinating, right? Because you were talking about football culture and stuff, and they're like, oh, we need another 10, 15, 20, 30 years to be like Holland, to be like France, to be like Argentina or whatever. Yeah. No, it, it's not a matter of time. It's that you actually do not want it. You know, culture, you know what's interesting when you say culture, right? When I was back in the U.S. last week, it was my first, it was my second time in five years that I've been back to the U.S. And in five years, I've been there about two weeks. So I guess for me, it's a little bit of like, like people are saying, oh, you're, you're actually more European now, right? You're feeling, and I was like, yeah, in a way, there's certain ways that I'm living my life here that are totally different than the States. And one of the things I saw in being in suburban spaces and, and actually being there like you said, the monoculture, everything. I feel a lot of it is just the overall lifestyle. A lot of it is soulless. And what I mean by that is there's a lack of connection, bringing people together just in everyday life. Maybe you're being connected by this, but I feel like, like I was telling someone, I was gone for three weeks from Holland. People noticed I was gone for three weeks in my neighborhood when I came back. Oh, you're back. Oh, how was this? How was this? Like I ran into people within three, four days. I ran into people three or four times going to the shape shop and, play. and that's, you know, based on how the country's built and, you know, all these different factors, you know, the difference yeah. between Europe and America. But I feel that is definitely a part of our soccer culture it is actually soulless. It is not connected. It is just something to do. So it's going to be very, very hard to garner that culture you're, you're talking about where the criticism and everything, because 
the, the actual criticism actually comes from a place of, because maybe, I mean, part of it comes from a place, place of caring. Caring. Yes. Love, caring. It could also be hate, but love and hate are thin line. Right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. because it comes from a place of caring and all these guys who played, who, if you were imagining if you're Paulo Mondini, but you're seeing your father, Cesar, you know, he's coming up through the system and people every day at the coffee shops in Italy are talking about the game, talking about how well your dad did or did not do. So you knew after every game, your father was either being praised or he was being, you know, slaughtered. So you knew the importance without anybody putting that in your face because yeah. you, you grew up with it, right? Our kids, unfortunately, are not getting that. They're getting what Busquets said. We're getting a spectacle. We're getting entertainment. Yeah. We're getting that. But we're expecting to throw them into the lion's den where people are like, man, you got to come with it or, you know, get out of our club. You know, like look at the league fans, how they reacted to McKinney. Towards the end, they were really excited about the signing. But at the end, you started seeing people slander and go crazy, you know, whether it's warranted mm. or not warranted. That's not for me to judge. But I'm just saying the mentality that comes with that, you know, they expected him to come and be one of the reasons they stayed up. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, the stock, Aronson, he leaves, he goes to Union Berlin. Adams is trying to get out of there now. So it's like that U.S. experiment is kind of like, if you try to bring another U.S. player in there, He's going to have to deal, <laughs> but he has to deal. Does he have the colonies? Does he have the ability? Does he have the mental to go in there and show that he has something different? I'm not sure. But but the immune response of the American fan base and media yeah. against the situation that happened in Leeds is quite telling because here it's like they're living it for the very first time, Kefren, Yeah, that they're seeing their American player, the one that they valued or rated so highly, being attacked and criticized and come at hard by a foreign fan base or the, the fan base of the club, which is what they, he's representing. And since that doesn't exist here because they don't feel it here, they don't really live it here. There was an immediate immune response. Like what the fuck? These people are toxic and nasty. And, and listen, yes, there is a degree of nastiness in certain pockets like that, that say certain things like, whoa, whoa, like that's kind of like crossing the line. But the line for the folks here, the bar is so low that even saying, get this fucking guy out of here is already crossing the line for them. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just saying that, forget all the really bad stuff, yeah. right? Like, uh, I want to kill your family or whatever. Forget that. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. I'm talking about even the basics of like, get this McKinney guy the fuck good riddance to you. Like we can't even handle that. And that's like baby stuff. Yeah. 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 But like you said, it's like, we, we can't handle it. We're not, we're so our players are not just being, I wouldn't even say they're even being coddled. I would say it, it's soulless. It's just like, well, how did that player play right mm -hmm. after the game? Like we can't go to this, oh, how did he play? How is he doing? How is, is this player getting on the pitch? Like if I talk to my former players and they're pro, if I talk to them and I'm like, man, you didn't get on the pitch again. Man, you must be doing some shit and it might be a yeah, joke, yeah. but it's for real. It's at the same time. Like, what are you here for? You have to compete. You have to overcome. You have to be number one. We're not doing that. There's no criticism that comes from these guys that comes at these guys stateside. Everything is protectionism, protection, protection. Let's protect, 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 because we're worried about unveiling. Pretty much the people at the top are, are worried about the true unveiling of what's really going on. So. The players are probably the first defense. A little bit of the coaches is the first defense. And so they keep it there. They can't really criticize. 
They can't really go deep with anything. Well, it's deep level insecurity. Like if you're a pundit, if that's your job, if you're an analyst slash pundit, what, your job is actually to do these sorts of things, criticize and go hard and attack and all that stuff. Yeah. But it seems like they're so deeply insecure about a couple of things. One is there's this mindset that the league or soccer here in the States is so fragile that if we criticize it, it's going to crumble or something, you yeah. know? So there's that mindset or mentality. And then my other hypothesis, which I truly believe, is so many of the folks that work in those positions have a deep level of insecurity that they actually don't know football. They, they don't. don't know. They don't know. No. They don't know. And so they cannot afford to have people competing with them for that job yeah. of being a pundit, for being a, a reporter or a journalist. They're so terrified that since they don't know shit about the game, that these other folks from the outside are going to come in and eat their lunch. So they have to defend their masters, yeah. right? For lack of a better have, word. Exactly. Right. They have to be buddy-buddy with everything. And also they're not built on anything. You know, when you're built on something, you're used to challenges. You're used to being right. You're used to being wrong at the same time. But because you're built on a foundation, you'll weather, you know, certain things that you'll go through. But when you're built on, someone puts you in that position and they expect you to keep everything, you know, the butter biscuits, coming in, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? keep those things coming in for you. Then all of a sudden it's like, when you really meet someone who's a real challenge or really passionate, you really get to see those things. You know, like I remember back in the day when they had uh, Alexi Lawless was on with Michael Ballack and um, Ruben Nistoroy. I think it was, it was either 2014 World Cup, maybe might've been that mm. one. And my old coach who's Dutch, you know, knows Rude, knows some of those people. He's like, man, they could not stand Alexi. And, it, and listen, personalities can be personalities, but Alexi was, you see, everything is built on, let me be a spectacle. Let me just make comments to make comments. This is what sells. This is what gets me valid, validity here. And if I do that, either way, I'm going to always spark something that keeps me kind of relevant in this field here. It's not ever really built off of too much substance because it's spectacle and all that stuff. His ass would have been laughed out of here years ago. In fact, he might have even touched the stage. They can't even deal with you here over there. They don't want to see that shit. I'm just trying to tell you, there's no big soccer country. Germany, Holland, Spain, whatever. Like a real, you know, maybe in Spain they would have had him on that, uh, what's it called? The guy, is it called, Ch uh, you know, the Real Madrid. Ch 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 yeah, yeah, the Real Madrid guy. What's his name? <laughs> yeah, but you know what kind of show it is, right? They would have. I know everyone. exactly. You know what you're going for there for. You know yes. what you're going there for, like, right? Go over there, Alexi. Stay over there. Just imagine the TV channels had him analyzing matches, you know, yeah. giving education to the masses. And listen, okay, if you feel that he gives you what you needed, okay, fair for you. But most people could see through the bullshit. You know what I mean? And, I, and I'm like, Regardless if he played, you can see all the stuff that was kind of going on. And I'm like, are we going to wake up to the fact? And it's not just him. It's not even just to get at him, but it's just. No, him. no, it, but, but it's a culture thing. It's a culture. It, it, it's it, total. But it's, but it's interesting. But I think like they choose to play that role. Yeah. The role of the clown, the role of the agitator, the role of whatever. They choose to play that role because they know that they can't do the other role of serious analysis, serious spreading of deep level knowledge 
oh. of football. Like they know they don't have that. So what kind of a job can they do? Well, I'm going to play the shit poster role, or I'm going to play the class clown role, yeah. or I'm going to, you know, that is why you go in that direction. Because if you know, if you know, Kevin, yep. if you know, right, really, if you're Jose Mourinho, who knows fucking football inside and out, Jose Mourinho is not going to go get a studio job and play the Alexi Lawless role. No. Because, I mean, you just have zero desire to do that. It, it's fucking insulting. Like, why would I do that? You know what I'm saying? Well, no, uh, even even looking at Terry Henry, Michael Richards, and Jamie Carragher on CBS. Now, do they have fun? Mm -hmm. Yes, they have fun. I, I like it. So I like a show. It's refreshing. Yeah. It's a little bit more open than most European shows. They let them be more open. But you also mm -hmm. see the soccer knowledge that comes out, that the real... Well, there's a shift in the face, right? Yep. They'll, they'll fuck around with each other a little bit or whatever, yep. but then snap a finger and now all of a sudden, okay, let's fucking talk football and they, and they go and it's real and it's deep level knowledge. Exactly. You can tell. Exactly. And they're going through certain things and it, I just feel with what's going on, like like I told, like back in the day, I used to have problems with Sunil Gulati, the former U.S. soccer mm -hmm. president and all these guys. I think these guys, when they came together, they realized they fell. After that 94 World Cup, they realized they fell into a cash cap. Mm -hmm. And they were like, let's just put people here who know how to put business and connections together. And then they, they realized they became the voices. They became the heads of everything without challenge, without anybody saying, you know, because nobody was at that time willing to kind of step ahead. It's like, you know, it's whoever steps ahead and leads, they lead. And then everyone, most people are followers. So... Everyone said, okay, well, they, they have the answer. Let's just follow them. So now we're just keep following this pathway and everyone acts like it's surprised that money is being spent on soccer. But these guys probably thought 94, the most attended world cup this day, they probably couldn't believe it. If you could talk these guys, Robert Cap, they probably, man, we filled out these stadiums. Look how much money we made. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Let's put this league together. You know, let's do this. Let's make sure no one else can get in. And we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that South American and European crap. We're pro rel. We're going to protect the league. You know, whatever. They All the stuff that they plan. Well, we want, let's own it all. Let's own uh, it. Obviously. Exactly. They say, we got the monopoly. We got everything. And if we do this, we can kind of control it and build it and just slowly but surely. And now it's like all the potential has been just, uh, just a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. And people don't see it. And it's like, for me, it just drives me crazy. Because I'm like, I've, I think I've said before, highest paid youth coaches in the world. U.S. Yeah, yeah. By far, I know how yeah. many. I know how much an IX Hugh Ten coach makes. Nothing. 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 They have yeah. so much knowledge. Nothing. Your A licensed coach doing this little shit who's just like making his money doing, which is fine. Like I said, I don't even fault it. Like I hear people say, "Oh, they blame the system." I'm like, "Look, you choose." No, it's the system. It's the system. It's the system. You 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 pay into it. It's the system. That's everything that's happening. But we have that. We had tournament, like, you know, the PSV coaches, I was, I was explaining the leagues here. And I was like, yeah, I saw there's something called MLS next. Now there's ECNL, <laughs> there's MPL, there's EPL, AOL. So I don't know. I'm just saying, I would just say all this stuff. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah. I was like, we have all these leagues. I was like, and guess what? All these leagues are making bank that money. So all the money that we have going into the youth soccer system, and it's not a problem that it goes in. The problem is that the product that it shits out, it's absolutely well, horrendous. Because Kev, because Kev, what are they developing for? They aren't developing for anything. If you have a first team to develop for in an open ecosystem, you have to develop the player. You right. have to develop the player. If your freaking club 
in D.C., all the youth clubs in the D.C. area, all the youth clubs in Texas, all the youth clubs in California, all the youth clubs anywhere. Why are we calling them youth clubs? Everywhere across the world, there is a first team attached to the club. Yes. I mean, generally speaking, there's no such thing as a youth club and like a pro club over there. It's kind of like they're just clubs. What what you say this, and I like how you never call MLS clubs, you say MLS franchises, right? They're franchises, dude, because a club is just a separate entity unto itself. It's its own business. I think the best way to put it is, is, is like this. MLS is the club. Yes. MLS is the club. It is the single entity. It is the club. All the players are contracted to MLS. And it just so happens that MLS, just like any club, has a bunch of teams within it. So MLS is a club, just like FC Barcelona, let's say. FC Barcelona has a lot of teams. It has the first team, the second team, the youth teams, the girl side stuff. Well, MLS is the club, and it happens to have 29 teams. And they all play amongst each other. Exactly. So the teams aren't themselves clubs. They're just outlets of the one club that is MLS. So to use a term that is widely used in the United States, they're like franchises. They are. Let's open up a new franchise in this city. Now let's open up a new franchise in that city. So really it's MLS Austin versus MLS Houston that are playing tomorrow. Yep. And it's MLS Portland versus MLS San Jose, right? They're all the same fucking club. All the same thing. But would you say now when we think about this is, I wonder what term we could use. We say these are youth clubs in the state, but I don't think they're clubs. What I mean by this, right? is that when I see the club that my son is in, it's not just a collection of teams. It is a club that is connected in some kind of way. And what I see in majority of U.S. soccer youth is it's a collection of teams that have just kind of been put together under a banner um, to pay for this system. It's not like a club. That's there's no, yeah, I get you. I get what you're saying because there's no unity. There's no yeah. unity between the teams, between the families of different teams. Yeah, it's, it's rare. There, you have it, there's no, but it's rare. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing really tying them together aside from what you just said, which is just this maybe plastic badge with a name on it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and again, I'm, people are running this podcast and think I'm going in on this, on this culture, but it's just rare, you know? Yeah. Like, I remember when we did Jogan, I did the beat our own, but I remember people feel like, and I really feel like I'm part of a club. I'm like, yeah, yeah. because you are. Like, you're a part of, like, yeah. you are bought in. Each age group is playing together. Each age group is going to be training together. Each age group is, you know, we're talking, let's say we're bringing people together around a common belief and goal. And I don't think at a majority of these organizations that's being brought about. Now, again, we're not expecting every organization to have this kumbaya great moment or whatever. But I will say that there's just something to be said because it, it, like I said, like when I was in the States, I hate to say this. It just felt soul, soul is like, what is connecting? What is connecting us? What is connecting people? What is the, the, the driving force? And like, when I think about football, that is the beauty of it. When I was in Colombia, I'm in Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa comes to play and they're like a barrio, which is like, let's say 20, 25 minutes outside of Cartagena. Man, parents are coming up to me. They're coming to support. They, they, Listen, I got 200 people on my Facebook from Santa Rosa, parents and players all asking me about how to get overseas, all asking me like, how's my son doing? Does he have a chance? Does he have that? 
And if I go through there, it's a community. I went on the field there one day, man, they had goats and sheep on the other side. They had, they had the whole community on the pitch, man. They had the U-17 practice in here. They had baseball game over here. They had the younger kids over here and the families all around. And even though it was like, I think for the normal, probably common American family, it would have been like, whoa, total chaos. But what I saw was family. I just saw a total community brought together around sports, around representing each other. And, and, and you saw that, you felt that. And all those kids, no matter what situation they're in, they seem happy. They come with smiles on their faces. They come grateful, you know, they come excited to, to show you who they are. And sometimes I see the kids in the States, they're coming, you know, you're driving them to this and that tournament and this and that. And then they're coming out. The Is their first team? At that, at that club you're talking about is their first team? They do not. They're a C, they're, they have a U20 and they don't have anything else. They wanted a first team. Got it. But pretty much in that town, that is the Santa Rosa. You have to play for Santa Rosa in that area. And you try to Got get it. out. Do they have like, because I know in a lot of places in Europe, they have, yeah, like a, a restaurant slash coffee bar slash bar at the location where all the, yeah. the teams train and practice or whatever. So parents drive up, they don't just necessarily drop off their kids and leave or drive up, drop off their kid and pull up a lawn chair next to the field. Yeah. They actually have a place where they can all convene and get a coffee or get a beer or get a bite to eat and the kids are off training, you know, and some places have like a nice open balcony or window area and you can see all the fields if you want to observe your kid from there or whatever, fine. But the adults are kind of convening in that location. So there's a lot of inter-team mingling and friendships being forged and discussions of how each other's teams are doing. And then as a consequence of that, you form what you're saying, a community. Yeah. And then... From there, barbecues can be struck up or I'm going to go watch your kid play and you're going to come watch my kid play. That's what happens. But here, obviously, it, we don't have that because the business model, the system forces you to not have that business model. Let me put it to you that way. Oh, yeah. The system forces you here in the States, the system forces you to construct a business model where parents are just a transaction, just a number. That's it. Get their money and get out, exactly. you know, have their kid play and get out. Exactly. And if you want to bounce to another team, you know, we're going to try not to have that happen because you're money to us. But if you hop off to another team, I mean, another parent will just jump on board with us and replace you. So it means nothing. If you have a kid on a U15 team here in the United States at a youth club without a first team, you stick with the U15 team and for, and you might make friends of other families and parents there, but you don't know what's going on with the 12s or the 19s or the U 11s or the U9s or the coaches of other teams. You don't know shit. You know what I see in Colombia? I saw in Colombia at one of the poorest clubs and I see at the club here in Skahe United, there are guys who are 60, 70, 80 years old working at and with the club. These are both yeah. amateur clubs. They come and clean the place. They're working with the boys. They're going to see the games. They're kind of like the team manager type guys, making sure all the balls and the equipment there. So in Columbia, you know, they may not have the most equipment, but listen, every time I'm there, I got to have a jersey for my guy. There's two guys. I got to have my jersey. They're like, hey, where's it? Where's it? I was like, all right, I got to bring you a jersey. 
And they're always with the team, helping with everything. Even when we got an investor to put money in a house for, for six other players, the best players there. He lived at the house with them, making sure everything is, is taken care of. Then take it to Holland. You go to Holland, if you're there at the fields, every day that I was practicing early with our residency program, the guys who are 60, 70, 80 years old, they're cleaning up the cantina. They're cleaning the locker rooms. They're cleaning that. And afterwards, they're getting together for a beer or coffee, all that. All that shows, and listen, their sons may have not played for the club for like 30, 40 years, man. You mm -hmm, know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're still a part of it. It's home. Yeah, it's home. home. It's, a piece of, it's a piece of their life. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, people ask me, can you go back to the States and do something? I don't think I could mm -hmm. because I would be like, what? Like, this is not real. This is yeah. just, we're just here, you know, running from this tournament, this tournament. That's why you see like the glory years are probably the best. The most fun, but also the most stressful part of youth soccer, I would say, is probably from like U9 to U12, U13. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It's too much pressure. I, I, I would say it's too much pressure to win, just to yeah. win, because they don't really focus. You know, it's like everyone's like, oh, man, I'm number one in the country. Oh, we won the state. Yeah. We're this. And like everyone's going crazy, all, all the stupid shit, right? In my opinion. Where it should be flipped. 15 to 18, we should start really ramping. 14 to 18, really ramping it up. You know, like now we need to really compete for everything. But at that moment, that's when you kind of build those relationships. And then you, you start to see the first player at 13, 14 leaves, the, the best player for a higher mm -hmm. club. And then that's when it breaks mm -hmm. up the team and everyone's like, oh my God, why is everyone leaving? All that stuff, you know, all that stuff. That's when you have a little bit of the, this is our team, our team club type of thing, as close as you can mm -hmm. get. But it's mostly built mm -hmm. off the competition you guys go and play and win together. You get what I mean? It's not really the identification of the club and, and uh, who you are. Not at all. Look, there's so much consolidation nowadays here in the States, too, where a big club will just go and somehow acquire a smaller club. The smaller club who maybe, maybe have a 30-year history, yep. whoever are the quote-unquote directors of that small 30-year history club they're like oh well we kind of need the brand of slammers or, or rush or or lafc or whatever and then they'll just the 30-year history that goes behind that emblem meant nothing they're just like now we're part of dc united south or something or dc united north or whatever they yep. they just completely threw away their 30-year history like this you know, to, just to have now a new badge that says DC United on it. Yeah. it so you see how meaningless, yeah. how utterly meaningless the club emblem is. Oh, yeah. Man, when I had the club in Amsterdam, uh, it was called Fortuus, right? So I had to put Joga Fortuus with it. So I had to keep the colors. Okay. I had to go to like, a, before COVID happened, I, I had like a three-year process I had to go through. and It wasn't going to be clean cut. Like you're just coming in. It had to be like, some process to kind of build it or whatnot. And it was, it was a very good learning experience for me. You know, but I would say that, like I said, even then, even if the club was dysfunctional, it was still a club. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's still a club. And that's why I think it'd be great if there could be real clubs built in the States consistently. I know there's probably some, there's some people who are doing it who, yeah. you know, people really relate to, but I think people really miss out a lot on the soccer culture piece and the connection piece. Because it really means something to you. I mean, the best way to explain it, I guess, if you're in some kind of religious organization, mm -hmm. that it's the best way to kind of describe it. You go through generations. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And that's really, I, I think, the basis of a lot of what clubs should be built on. I would love to take on this project. 
Yeah. Catherine, come together with a group of people, perhaps bring in outside capital or something and do it because the main ingredient, one of the main ingredients is also having a place where everybody can commune together. You mentioned the religious thing. Okay. The religion has a church, a location where everybody comes together. Yep. Yes. The club that I would like to build has something like that. And what that thing is, is what we discussed earlier is like the on-site restaurant slash cafe slash bar thing. And whether your kid is training at the moment or not, You're there. you can just go that you can just go there and chill, maybe crack open the laptop and do a little bit of your day job work. If you like, almost like Starbucks isn't the, what I no, but I get it. Kind of, but kind of like that. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, like, just come on in, and I'll be working there, or you'll be working there, or other people will be working there. And you want to talk some soccer, some shop? Everybody in that location talking football knows about football. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So we can talk, and we'll have screens. We'll show games that are happening in real time or in the past. Like, you see what I'm describing here? It's an off the field communal place where everybody within the club, because you have to be a member, right? Yeah. That's what makes it part of a club too. You get there and hopefully we have a field or two or three, and that is our home base. That is what we need. And one of the things that makes me a little cautiously excited about the USL announcement yeah. is that if there is a way to grow the club into a higher and higher and higher level, then it gives me, and I'm sure others like me who see this, an incentive to perhaps work and build it. Is that Because right now I and others like me have no incentive to build anything because you are forever stuck in the mud and dependent on a gatekeeper to say whether you can have more than what you currently have or not. Exactly. No, it's so good that you say that because when I was in the States, that's exactly what I was preaching to them. I was like, man, I was like, you guys just have a field here. I was mm. like, parents just drop them off. And it's here. I was like, you can get some stands. You should be a cantina. I was showing. Build something. I, I was yeah. showing. Uh, yeah, I was showing. I was like, this is the club that my son's at. Here's the tournament we just went to last week. This is an amateur club. I showed them an amateur club that would compete with pro clubs. And they were like, they have all that there. And I was like, yeah, it's a part of the community. People come in. And also you need that too, because the players need that to realize that they're a part of something. That's why you see all the players say like when they make their transfer or they come back and they give money to the club, like who comes back here and gives money to a youth club? You're giving money to some director to do what? Yeah. Put his pocket, like to maybe, maybe put some scholarships in to pay another coach. Okay, great. But you're not putting it in something that actually leads to real development fields yeah. or a place or locker rooms or something like, like you said, that communal home, when you have that, then it is really something that brings people together, whether it's the creme de la creme or it's just a dirt pitch that that's in Colombia that we were in. Totally. You know, and it, totally. And that's the thing that people really, really have to grasp. I hope when they go to these places, because there's some clubs they've been around, they have so much money, they've been around for so long and it drives me crazy. I'm like, why aren't these people questioning them on what we're trying to build as a club is really a club, you know? Because listen, a lot of these clubs, they have people even in their teams or even in their teams, a lot of money, a lot of business connections. You can build this shit. You can build it. You can build you it. Can you build can build it. it. Yes. And you can actually, if you figure out a way, you can even make money or do other stuff to it, but you can actually build it if you actually start just looking at things from a totally different viewpoint. 
because I see like, even when they build these facilities, oh, we're going to build 20 fields and we're going to do this. It's still just fields. Correct. They don't build it. It still doesn't bring people together. It's just an asset to make transactions on. It's not about building something but for sure. But, but that's the U.S. in a nutshell, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are little pockets in different industries that have a communal sort of business model, but they never seem to really get that big because the more you scale, this is my perspective, yep. the more you scale something out, the more you dilute the original. community feel, right? And it becomes more and more corporate uh, managed. Yeah. More and more managed by spreadsheets instead of by the heart. And, you know, when you have something more tight knit, more communal, you will sacrifice economics for the feeling that you get, if that makes sense. But if, if you go in the other direction and try to scale, then you're diluting the feeling. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's a slippery slope, but I, I think we're not even connecting. So if we really wanted to connect even with the messy thing and all those things, if these are real clubs being made, then I could see how a messy signing could mean something. But at the same time, I was like, obviously he's one of the greats, but I'm like, we could be creating some of the greatest soccer players that ever lived too. And clubs. We, clubs. Catherine, we have so much fucking money in this country that we don't even know what the fuck to do with it. We have... We have world-class infrastructure, okay? We have people who will buy merchandise and go to the stadiums who aren't even fucking soccer people, yeah. okay? Yeah. The, like, the market here is so enormous. MLS stadiums are filled by non-soccer people. Yeah, yeah. If it, no, but think about that for a second. Yeah. We fill MLS stadiums here. 20,000 people, 50, whatever it is. And the vast majority of them are non-soccer people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Like, if you go to Portugal, outside of the big three and maybe Braga and Vitoria Guimaraes or something like that, yeah. the, the rest of the clubs have significantly smaller stadiums, you know, 10K, 12K, 6K, 3K, right? Yeah. And most of the season, most of the clubs, they aren't sellouts. And so the attendance is... Basically anywhere from, I don't know, 3, 4K to 12K for the smaller clubs. Average attendance, I don't know, 6K maybe. I don't know. I'm throwing out a number there. So the United States has better attendance in soccer and football than fucking Portugal. And Portugal's are raving lunatics for football. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? But yet Portugal is superior to the United States. The league is way higher level. Yep. The players are way higher level, right? The football is way higher level. Coaches are paid less. Coaches are paid less. Every, every. Facilities in Portugal are, in Europe, are probably not some of the best. You know, it has, totally. It, it, if you look totally. at a whole, like obviously sporting and Benfica are the, Porto, they're where they are. But if you look at it, the second division club I went to in Colombia has better facilities than a lot of the places I see in Porto. Yeah, 100%. Anyways, the point is, if we were just allowed to build here, Kev, oh, yeah. it would absolutely be the number one soccer place in the world. And nobody's going to convince me otherwise. Yes, you have the Premier League with enormous amounts of cash flow happening in the Premier League because... Well, they are number one in terms of wealth and all that sort of stuff. And there's nobody really challenging them. But the United States has more money, more fucking infrastructure, more population, more big cities, more hunger, bigger than, than England by far. Yep. So we would, abs I think we would absolutely, Ten easily, with almost minimal effort, overtake 
the Premier League. And also the evidence is that we have such a toxic system here in the States that even with a toxic system, look at what is built. Oh, of course. Of course. I got to do the math. I got to figure out that number. How many billions have been spent outside the U.S. that we have lost? By Americans. By Americans. Then just a roundabout number and how much money is spent in youth soccer to not produce pros. And then that would <laughs> tell you the true number. How yeah. billions? We're talking billions that are not being funneled into infrastructure on football, development of players, coaches, clubs, all of it. And like you said, it's like we could have clubs upon clubs upon clubs upon clubs upon clubs, competition upon competition upon competition. I try to tell people, I'm like, I used to have practice in the States and I'd have to kick. I, I didn't want to kick them off, but I'd be like, man, we got to practice, man. Y'all can't be here playing pickup right now. I was like, wait till mm -hmm. we got, we got an hour and a half. That never mm -hmm. happens in Holland. The fields be free, man. You know? Yeah. The fields yeah. are free. I assume there's some areas that might be kind of busy, but like you said, potential. It's like people just have to see it and see the potential and see what can happen. Like, you know, a guy from Iowa, I don't know. I can't remember his name. But he always like these gas stations called Come and Go. Funny name, but, mm. but uh, <laughs> he's the one who bought Parma. Guy from Iowa. He owns like 400 of these gas stations. He bought Parma. What does yeah, Iowa have to do with Parma? He's not Italian, yeah. by the way. He's not Italian, but he bought Parma. Now, he saw the business opportunity, and I think he owns Des Moines. He owns like one of the teams, USL, one of those things. Over. Okay. But because, do you not think he would have invested in Des Moines even more? to put that on the map because that's where he's from. That's where all his business opportunities are. Just think about that. He's not some mega billionaire that we've heard of before. How many of these guys are out here that would support something like that? If they know they can make it to the top, if they know that they have an opportunity to buy in, that's the thing. That's all you have to do is, is, is just open the door. But that's the hardest thing to convince those who don't see it. They're like, how it won't ever happen. People won't ever support it. They won't. I'm like, no, if you just open the door, they will, they will get the actual chance to see it. You know? Yeah. So. God damn it. Catherine. Yeah. I'm fucking hyped right now. Yeah, man. Nah, it's all good, man. You got the juices flowing. Yeah. I'm just, that's how I'm built. I want to build shit. Yeah. And when you are basically told that that's a metaphor, right? Told being told that you cannot build. Uh, you will fail if you attempt to build something. It is one of the most frustrating things imaginable because it, it's an attack on your freedom at that point. And people might be like, oh, Gary, you fucking exaggerate so much your freedom. Like, or, of course you have freedom. No, it, it is an attack on your freedom that you cannot build something and that you're restricted as to what you can build, basically. Oh, yeah. That's a problem. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the whole reason I talked to it, like, why am I not in the States? I was like, I just feel like I can't build anything anymore. I was like, after U15, U16, what are we supposed to do? It's actually even worse than you can, because if you try to build something, you just end up getting jacked. Yep. And it's not that you're getting jacked because somebody else is doing something better than you. Exactly. You know what I mean? No. That's not the you're reason. getting jacked because that somebody else has the political privilege because of the caste system yeah. that exists here. And, and the credential that somebody gave that other person, because maybe they can compete in MLS next, you know, or they can compete because somebody gave them that right badge. They are not earning it from you. They're not competing on an equal playing field and they're just better than you are. And so, yeah, you're going to get jacked, Kef. No, it's basically theft, legal theft. It is legal. And that's what people say. 
oh, they ain't breaking any laws, Gary. They aren't stealing from you. No, technically speaking, they aren't stealing from me. The laws or the regulations of the ecosystem are such that it enables this person to destroy my business. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and no one cares. Nobody cares because nobody knows and nobody sees how it impacts them. So th there's this case right now, 48 hours ago, of this kid, the 15-year-old oh. U.S. Youth National Team pool player yep. that went to try out for Sporting Kansas City or something, and the kid maybe didn't like it or whatever and doesn't want to play for them and prefers to play for some other MLS Academy, St. Louis Academy or something. And no, he's not allowed to because apparently Sporting Kansas City owns his rights because he lives closer to them or something than, than in St. Louis. And the kid is not under contract. The kid, I mean, you're basically telling the mom and the family because the mom posted this thing. Yeah. We own your child yeah. and their opportunities. Yep. And if you want to go and play for somebody else, well, we have to kind of give that green light. Otherwise, you're not allowed to. What, what the fuck is this, Kefren? Ever since I Bro. heard the rules, it's crazy. So my point, though, it's not until it really hits you in the face personally or it affects somebody that you're close to that your eyes really open up to see, whoa, what? what is going on here? How, yep. what kind of sinister shit, evil shit even sometimes is going on here? If you're just like a casual fan that wants to be entertained and go to a stadium and eat popcorn and fucking hot dogs and nachos and talk to your fucking buddy over here about the NFL match, you know, next weekend and soccer matches happening in front of your face right now. If that's what you are, then yeah, it never affects you. So you don't you fucking know any better. And that's the type of fan, the demographic that MLS goes after, you know, saying that's who they want as a fan because they don't know any better. Yep. Let's convert them over. Yeah, we got Messi. They're going to come see Messi. That's it. And they will until he gets subbed off the field and then everybody leaves the stadium. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. And then people are trying to blame it on traffic and stuff. I was like, if he played 90 minutes, they'd be there in 90 minutes. Yeah, for sure. You know, Brother, yeah. it's getting late for you. What do you think uh, about wrapping it? Yeah, man, we can, we can wrap it up, man. As always, thank you, man, for, for having me on. I appreciate you. No, please, dude. Always happy to have you. You have a lot of knowledge. It, we go way back. It's amazing how time flies, right? I don't know. It's been like 13 years since we first kind of digitally yeah. connected. I, I think we both have come a long way, no? Like a lot of shit has happened, which is amazing. <laughs> No, it's good, man. I'm blessed to have met y'all and, uh, and, and always, even though I'm watching from afar, man, I'm always in support of you guys. And we're freedom fighters. We can't look the other way. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Step by step. All right, brother. Have a great night over there. And I hope to visit you once again, hopefully before the year is out. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches. You can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, 
If you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.